All right, welcome to another week of the Between Two Pines podcast. This week, you have myself, Austin, and my lovely co-host, Zach. Uh, This week, it's going to be pretty standard. Uh, We're going to go over some news in the outdoors, what we did this week. Uh, For our main topic this week, we're going to be covering some private land management and federal programs and how they work. And then we'll close out with Zach's Cooking Corner and Hot Gear Cold Beer. So, Zach, let's get right into it. What did you do this weekend? Anything fun and exciting? Um, let's see. I've been trying to tan up a few beaver furs. Um, going to try and make a couple pillows out of them. And then just scouting for turkeys. I've been turkey hunting a lot lately. I'm kind of just sleep deprived and confused all the time now. <laughs> so uh, I'm just kind of going about... Uh, Taking it day by day, trying to chase some turkeys, and thankfully, Missouri's turkeys close at one, so kind of keeps me sane in the afternoons. But yeah, other than that, uh, not a whole heck of a lot. Just kind of trying to stay busy. Yeah, yeah, no, I feel you. Yeah, this week, um, as I said last week, I've been working on my boat. I should put some pictures up. Um, but, yeah, I've been working on my boat a lot. I actually, so this past weekend, I took it out before I started building all the decks and stuff. I took it out um, on some backwater on uh, McDill Pond, if you're familiar with Stevens Point, Wisconsin. I took it out on McDill and fished for about an hour or so out there. Got a new motor on it. Got the motor tuned. Um, took some casts. It's so, all of the all of the weeds in there are just, like, dead fermented disgusting weeds so it's no mcdill gets nasty yeah so i was not expecting to catch anything and yeah it was just i mean i was just taking casts to take casts but um yeah i wasn't really planning on catching much i was just there more to tune my motor you know get that thing running good which it is it seems like it's running pretty well so did that um what else? Uh, scouted for some turkeys. I uh, did that because, once again, I have late season. So went out, scouted some land, found some good signs uh, for turkey, found a bunch of droppings, um, found, you know, some feathers, some stuff, found tons of deer sign, which gets me hopeful for the fall. But, um, yeah, I mean, we'll see. I didn't see any turkeys, but I think I have a good general idea of where they're roosting. So. Um, I'm hoping that it, it continues on until next weekend when I could actually, when my tag is good for, so, so yeah, that, that's about it, but yeah, so nothing too fun and exciting. I'm just, um, waiting for the, the fishing opener on all the lakes in Wisconsin, which, uh, starts, I actually, technically, I think it starts tomorrow or tonight at midnight, I think. No, wait, how many days are in May? I don't even know. Search uh, or on April, yeah. So tomorrow's the first. So yeah, it starts technically uh, tomorrow morning. Um, but yeah, so I'm gonna leave to probably Saturday morning. Get up there and try and hammer some walleyes and some crappies up there. Sweet. Yeah. Speaking of boats, too, I sold my uh, my mud motor on my duck boat, so I'm gonna try and let's start looking at new ones. Yeah, just dude, just I, I just get a bigger boat, man. You had a 14. Yeah. Dude, but get... I don't hunt with anybody. I don't really have a reason to get a bigger boat. Yeah, I feel like sometimes, though, it's actually cheaper to get the boat than it is to get the boat and the motor. Or, or, you know, or, or it's cheaper to get a boat and a motor than it is to just buy a motor. 
Yeah. Like you could find guys that are selling their, you know, their duck hunting rig for, you know, a thousand bucks and they got a, you know, a 30 horse mud motor on the back that's worth, you know, 1500 bucks. And then you get a boat and a trailer out of the deal. Um, that's what I've never seen. I've never seen a mud motor that's intact go for sale for under two or three grand. Yeah. Yeah. I'll keep an eye out for you up here, but yeah, I'll, I'll keep that in mind, but. Yeah, well, you want to get into the uh, the news articles here? Yeah. All right. Um, well, I guess I'll start here. So we got this article. Um, this has been circulating all over Wisconsin. I know, Zach, you even saw this down in Missouri. Um, but a real scumbag, someone, and I pray that they find this guy. And I feel like I'm, I'm always the one that brings in the bad news on the podcast. But um, – so uh, up in Forest County, Wisconsin, which is uh, far northern Wisconsin, uh, four dogs have died, and these are pet dogs, um, have died in the last month, and seven dogs have, uh, have died in total because someone is putting out poison, and they're putting out just food, and I think it's just scraps of food that they're putting out with poison inside of it. And they're saying that it's killed. They found a bunch of dead coyotes, weasels. They found dead wolves. So I don't know, Zach, what do you think of this? Do you think that it's somebody that is maliciously trying to poison dogs and just being a demon person? Or do you think it's someone that's, you know, maybe fed up with wolves or something like that and also being a demon person, but for other purposes? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, up there, I think there's a, just so much uh, ill ill uh, views towards wolves that people are just kind of fed up with them that way. Um, you know, with the dogs being pets and all, I don't think, I mean, living down here, I have a whole different perspective of dogs because <laughs> I just come up on wild dogs everywhere I go. And some of them are actually scary and want to maul your face <laughs> off. Yeah, that's... But, uh, they're they're obviously pet dogs and you know the guy's either a scumbag because he's wanting dogs off his property or he's a scumbag because he wants wolves off his property it's all the same bottom line but uh i think i also read that it was like dead crows or dead ravens or something even too so you know it's just uh adding fuel to the fire for once they catch this piece of garbage yeah and i do want to point out for this that um this poison is being put on Wisconsin public land. So this is, uh, yeah, this is something messed up. So um, they are, and I will put in uh, this, that they are um, giving a thousand dollar reward for any information that would lead to an arrest. So if you are one of our Wisconsin listeners, which I think many of our listeners are, and you know who is doing this, report this person. And I'll tell you what, if you verify, I'll even put an extra hundred bucks on top of it. You heard it here first, folks. I'll give you a hundred bucks on top of the thousand uh, to report this guy. Cause this person or, or man or woman, uh, this person is a total scumbag. So yeah, that that's all I got to say about that. Um, but on a brighter note, Zach, do you want to lead us into the next article? This one's super interesting. Uh, yeah. The Turkey one. Yeah, yep. Yeah, so uh, this Oregon turkey hunter killed um, what ended up being a super or turkey I've never seen before, but uh, it's mostly all black turkey. It has just a couple little uh, details of color in it, but 
Um, they say it's one in 50,000 is typically kind of the, the average to see a bird like this. Um, I'm not seeing it's it's a melanated turkey. It's a melanated turkey is what it's called. So yeah, it's not a it's not an oscillated turkey. So basically this is like the opposite of an albino. It's where so the um so like an albino is a lack of melanin in the skin or fur or whatever else. Um this is the opposite of that. So it has a um too much melanin and so pretty it's all black. So yeah, it's a real cool looking bird. Yeah, it looks like um from our turkey episode we talked about the oscillated turkeys it kind of looks like that but it's it's like a goth turkey it's just all black yeah, yeah. um and thankfully he is getting a full mop, full body mount on it yeah that'd be awesome yeah that that is uh that's a once in a lifetime bird that's sweet though and um i did mention in there that it, he did get access through i think it's like um trouts forever some of their property or something like that so it was like uh through an organization that he was able to hunt that land so once again but so it goes to show why we need to do land management you get some cool stuff through managing the land um but yeah no real cool bird so yeah big ups to this guy he uh got a very rare turkey there but yeah yeah um then the next thing i just wanted to bring up anybody in michigan gets to Get excited for tomorrow because the no motor ban on all your boats gets lifted. So, uh, big, big, uh, big day in Michigan, I guess. I don't know why that was a thing. It seems kind of ridiculous, but maybe it was just to keep people off the water in groups. But that just kind of seems like a no motorized boat ban seems kind of silly to me yeah i actually saw it was kind of funny uh someone uh some family in illinois posted because illinois i believe and uh, you know i don't i don't know this is for certain but i think all illinois boating is um you're not allowed to boat in illinois at all um and uh somebody uh posted a picture of kind of the, the ludicrousy of these laws and they posted a picture of all of them in their boat, but in their garage. And that's totally legal. <laughs> so they get, the family could be in their boat in the garage, but as soon as the boat goes on the water, it's illegal. So I thought that was kind of uh, an interesting take on it. But yeah, so good good for Michigan, which I know they're uh, pretty highly impacted by COVID, but also I know that their stay-at-home orders are pretty severe in comparison to other states. So get a little little light at the end of the tunnel here um getting to go out on your boat so yeah that that's uh yeah something to look forward to there um i'll bring us into the next one here so i don't know zach have you been seeing all these pictures and i don't know if this is like a seasonal thing or whatever but i've been seeing more and more pictures on instagram and other places um in california they're getting and there's all these different articles cool pictures um, which nobody, because they closed the beaches now in California, so you can't go out and see it. But um, the bioluminescent, um, and I think I don't know if these are diatoms or an algae bloom, um, but it's a bioluminescent algae, and it's all over the oceans in California right now. And there's a pretty cool video of this guy surfing in bioluminescence. I don't know if he's breaking quarantine by doing this, but it was pretty sweet. Um, but yeah, there's other videos of dolphins going off the coast and, uh, swimming in this. So yeah, pretty cool stuff. I don't know if you can 
uh, legally do it. I would say if you're in California, check that check that out. Send us some pictures. It, it looks awesome. Yeah, this is the first I'm seeing of it, and that's pretty awesome. I would definitely go and check that out in person if I could. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we don't know. Uh, I mean, we had something similar to that uh, in Illinois, except it was just probably um, – you know, radioactive waste coming off of Lake Michigan. So, um, but yeah, so uh, yeah, pretty cool. So if you're, if you're listening to this and you could get out there and get some pictures of it, yes, yeah, I don't know. So we'll definitely post them up. Um, yeah. But Zach, did you, do you have anything else you want to add for the news? I mean, kind of, I wouldn't say a slow week in the news, but obviously, uh, you know, with things the way they are, the news hasn't been quite as popping as it is. So. Oh yeah, I'm good. You're good. All right. Well, Zach, I'm going to let you lead the way here because you are the resident expert in this stuff. You want to lead right into the main topic here. Yeah. um, I just figured we could kind of just talk about some uh, something that uh, is important and most people take advantage of that hunts one way or another, I think. Um, But private land management, uh, everybody knows grandpa or you know a neighbor or whoever that has a chunk of woods or property that um they hunt deer on and just it, it it's a very big important piece of conservation that kind of gets overlooked based or compared next to like public land management and things like that but most of the country is private land and that really plays a big role no matter how small the property is in maintaining uh wildlife and conservation practices and stuff so um a lot of this private land conservation stuff comes from the farm bill and the farm bill gets renewed every four years um it covers a whole bunch of stuff like subsidy payouts um different different programs and tax breaks and things like that for farmers but then they also lumped together uh like food stamps with it too. And that was kind of a strategy just to make sure that it always passes because it's so crucial to everything. So they just lump together urban and rural uh, or urban based and rural based uh, things in this one bill to kind of please everybody and make sure that that's something that passes along each four years when it comes up for renewal. Yeah, no. And that, that seems like a definitely a good strategy for, for lawmakers um, Zach, can you explain like a little bit more in depth and for those that don't really know? So it, let's just say, for example, I'm, you know, uh, Joe Cottonwood, Mr. Farmer, um, Farmer John, um, and I have some I have some land. I maybe I hunt, maybe I don't. Uh, and I want to make a little bit extra money or, or do something with my land. What, how would I, what is the benefit to using a program like this for me? Yeah. Um, well, this stuff is really cool to talk about. I'm not a, a complete expert on it, but it's really cool to kind of dive into. Um, so there's a couple different main ones. There's a lot of programs, but just some of the main ones that are the most popular and have the most allotted acreage by federal guidelines are CRP, which is the Conservation Reserve Program, uh, WRP, which is the Wetland Reserve Program, and EQIP, 
EQIP, which is, um, gosh, the, it's escaping me what the acronym stands for. Uh, Environmental Quality, Environmental Quality Incentives Program, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, but so basically what these are is, uh, I'll start with CRP, but CRP is the Conservation Reserve Program, and farmers can sign up for this uh, as long as their farm has been used for agriculture or crops in the last four out of six years, they can sign up for this program. And there's a bunch of different uh, options under this program. But basically, it's to take their farm out of production, which sounds like a loss for the farmer, but that it is then subsidized with payment payments so let's say you have a hundred acres and you get approved for the crp program uh yearly you will get 300 whatever the payout is it could be a hundred dollars per acre a year three hundred dollars per acre a year you get a yearly payment as a reward for taking your land out of production making it better habitat so um you know, a couple of years ago, the last farm bill had great payouts. Farmers are getting more money from putting their farm into CRP than they were leasing it to other farmers to get farmed. Well, and I could tell you, um, and I could tell you right now, and you know, there's a lot of. I think right now is a great uh, example of how some of these farmers are probably benefiting from this is as you know and i'm sure anyone that's been watching the news knows that all over the country farmers are having to dump crops because you know there's not enough demand for them or there's not enough payment for or whatever it may be but they're having to dump crops right now whereas if you were a crp farmer you'd be getting that money no matter what and that's kind of an interesting thing is uh you know you kind of um there, there's no uh, risk of good years or bad years. That's a guarantee payment for your for your land is really what it is. Yeah, exactly. It's a locked in deal, um, and they they range anywhere from five, ten to fifteen years. I don't think CRP does a lot more or less than that. Um, but yeah, so basically, you're getting paid, and the 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 program pays for most of the installment of it too. I think it's up to like 75% at the base of it to help you out with getting these things going. And that includes like, so one of the biggest ones lately is the pollinator CRP program. So that's helping, that's helping things along the lines of uh, bees, butterflies, and then, uh, songbirds and then that trickles down to to pheasants and deer and ducks and everything else like that so there's just kind of different uh, uh objective programs under the crp program so different plantings different uh you know different uh strategies and things like that so really cool program um after your contract is up you can get back into farming your ground um you can put it back into production. I think you need to put it back into production for a year or two or four year or up to like yeah, that. four of the previous six then. So it'd probably reset. I would be willing to bet. 
Well, that's just to get into it, oh. but I think if you take it out for one year, then you can go back in if you get reapproved. Oh, okay. And so, you know, once again, if I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm Farmer John, and I let's say I get accepted into this program, what do I have to do on my property? And and I honestly don't know this question or know the answer to this question. Um, I'm not super familiar with any of these. I mean, I use the lands obviously, but from a, a more of a management perspective, I don't really know how this works. Um, so if I'm a farmer and let's just say, you know, and we'll use Wisconsin as an example, let's just say I'm a soybean farmer and I have a hundred acres, all soybean. Uh, and then I get accepted into this program. What would I have to do? Or is there anything that I would have to do to this property to make it CRP land? Yeah. So, um, so you get given guidelines and that's all in a contract it's basically saying like you know uh different also different companies do a lot of these seed mixes for these programs so it's something it's things along the lines of getting the proper seedings planting the seedings but then it doesn't stop there it also includes like uh you know mowing it every or mowing it two times a year for the first two years or burning it once a year for the first three years or different uh, conservation goals like that along in that contract to, to not only establish it, but then to upkeep it. So it's actually worth a darn and it's actually doing something for the environment. Um, so like I said, it's uh, about 50 to 75% of it is paid by the program itself to help establish the farmer does need to pay a little bit and, obviously equipment but then um what, what, might have to pay for seeds and stuff but yeah it could probably be assumed that the equipment necessary the the farmer probably already has if they're doing ag right yeah. and then uh we can get into all of it later but so it's still privately owned but to cut down the installment costs initially there's also other programs that the states do where you can put your then CRP fields into public hunting easements for the life of the CRP program. And that also cuts down. And then the state helps out with more of that uh, cost to the farmer. And so let's say, okay, so let's say I, I get the CRP. I want to manage the lander. Let, let's say I'm one of the easements for like the state. And I know you had experience with this. Um, I'm whatever I, I call the Wisconsin or whatever state I'm in DNR. And I say, Hey, I have this property. It butts up to, you know, this wildlife area. Would this be something you guys can use? Would that be something that I would still have to manage or is there, you know, companies or would the DNR, I don't know, would they manage it for me? Uh, if it was in CRP or if it was just an ag field. So it, it, it's an ag field that got put into CRP could then sure. yeah could you could and let's just say it butts up you know to property would that just be like incorporated into property and they'll say oh we, we're actually just gonna the dnr says uh you know we're gonna incorporate this into our management plan we'll you know do all this stuff for you is that something that happens i honestly don't know yeah so a couple things can happen that i've seen one of them is that crp can stay 100 percent private and owned by the farmer 
that's just it might look the same as the the public hunting property butts up to but you can't go on it because the farmer still just owns it solely mm-hmm. um but then other programs like um in iowa it was the ihap program uh in i forget what the acronym is iowa hunters and something or another north dakota has the plots program private lands uh private land gosh i'm terrible on my acronyms today (laughs) Um, they all stand for different things which basically boil down to they're still privately owned lands they're still your property but if you allow public to access it then you get big tax breaks or you get help in cutting that initial cost even farther than the 75 percent up to like 90 percent and then that also gets incorporated into our next program a lot too from what i've seen but yeah it's kind of like that so if you want to cut down costs more if you want more tax breaks then you can allow public access for hunting and things along that line yeah and i know that there's like more what sounds like a more hybridized program and i know wisconsin has quite a few different programs for which you know thankfully wisconsin is a a, a great state for hunting access um but uh, like the land that i actually hunt quite a bit it's still agriculture land like they still have their sprinklers out they still it's a potato they grow potatoes you know, they got, you know, their fields are all still planted. The guy's still running the combine, but it's volunteer or what is it? Uh, Volunteer use access program, I think is what it's called. Um, Voluntary access program. Yeah. yeah, Yep. A VAP, a voluntary access. So basically what you're doing is you're just getting a tax break to let people hunt your property is what you're doing. And that, yeah, that's a good deal. Yeah. And they just, they just continue to, do whatever they were doing on it. And, you know, they just put up signs that says like, here's where you could go. Here's where you can't go. And they set up a little dirt parking lot where you could park and, and that's it. Yeah. And it seems like a good deal. They, I'm sure they get some either kickbacks or tax breaks, whatever, but yeah, I'm like, Oh man, it's a, it's a good thing. Yeah. And then another one in Wisconsin that I've hunted quite a bit too, is the managed forest land uh, yep, program. A, yep. That's a good one too, for sure. Yeah, but uh, all states have them. You just got to do a little bit of research and find uh, just find programs. But all states do a pretty good job at it, at least in the Midwest. Um, but so then that brings us to our next program, if you're good with CRP. Yeah, yeah, go on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the next main one is WRP or Wetland Reserve Program. And that one is kind of along the same lines of as CRP but it's more focused on waterways and wetlands and things like that, obviously in the name, but the biggest difference is that is a lifetime or a 99 year easement. So as CRP, you would get paid per acre per year. WRP, you get one big giant lump sum payment and it's a lifetime easement after that. So it's, it's going to look, you know, like a, like a remnant prairie, like remnant grasslands and wetlands for forever. But see, it cannot go back into production. But do you own that property still? You still own it. Yes. It's kind of the same thing as CRP. You still own it, but then you have to pay the taxes on it still. So there are other 
programs like that too. Like in Iowa, if a private landowner has WRP and it's a big chunk, they'll get that giant lump sum check. And then the state of Iowa can come in and say, we'll give you an extra thousand dollars per acre if we can then own that property. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah. I wonder. So what happens if they like sell the land? Does that contract still hold up? Is that part of when they sell, you know, if they have a hundred acre farm and they say 20 acres of it is WRP. I wonder if when they sell the property, um, you know, the WRP carries over. It does. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, so another cool program, um, I've hunted a lot of WRPs that are state easemented. Um, they're awesome. They're just added habitats and added opportunities. So it's a win-win, win-win-win. Yeah, exactly. And so, and you have had experience actually managing WRP land, have you not? Yeah, it, we just kind of tied it all with our the state ground that got managed as well. Um, and you know, a lot of the, a lot of the private people around the, the state ground that had WRP or CRP, we would help them with their management goals too. So if we were doing a burn and their WRP or their CRP butted up next to one of our burn sites, then we would include that just because, you know, it's doesn't take much more time and it's still beneficial for everybody. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense for sure. Um, yeah, and that's uh, yeah. It's kind of it, it's just very interesting to me that you know. And I wonder. I, I'm I'm too broke to uh, to afford Onyx. Um, but when you and do you have Onyx, Zach? Yeah. So when you go on the Onyx like app or whatever it is, um, does it show what type of like you know if you click it and I know it'll show all the public lands, but does it say this is WRP land? Does it actually indicate what program it's a part of? No, it doesn't. It'll just say whether it's privately owned or it's publicly owned or if there's an easement for it. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, I think yeah, that that might be something Onyx first off sponsor us. Uh second off, uh yeah, that would be actually kind of an interesting thing to put on there because then people can understand what these pro you know, what the benefits these programs are. Yeah, definitely. And there I feel like a lot of people don't know too much about them and I definitely didn't before I started working with them, but the more you know about them, I mean, it's just an awesome program and it helps out everybody really. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I know um, with some positions uh, job wise, I know that there's actually specific jobs that will go in and verify that they are almost like a quality inspector to make sure that they are keeping up with their end of the contract, which is a good thing that those positions exist. So it's not just like a, Oh yeah, we're going to give you $300 an acre and, but you have to do X, Y, Z. And then they just don't do X, Y, Z. So there is actually people that go out there and check that stuff. Yeah. And if those farmers need help lining something up or getting contracts or things like that, then those people have, you know, a laundry list of, people that they can contact or they give to the farmer to contact so they can line that stuff up. Yeah. So there's definitely a lot of assistance that, you know, if you're a farmer and you want to get involved with this, it's not just like, here you go, figure it out. There there's people, I think, I mean, in Wisconsin, just about every County has someone that their specific job is to deal with this stuff. Oh yeah. Any, uh, 
any NRCS office, which uh, there's, they're all over the place. I think they, they have all the resources a farmer would need to get, uh, get started on that. Yeah, for sure. And then did you want to go into the, uh, the equip program? I don't know if you're, if you're familiar with this one too much or not. Yeah, I just know a little bit about it. It's just another one that's kind of getting popular. Um, it's kind of more for maybe not the the absolute like 100% ag people, but if you just own a little bit of property or something, it just kind of uh, incentivizes doing certain management strategies, whether it be, uh, you know, forest management or or pasture management or just any little extra thing you're willing to do, you get subsidized for. Um, but it's just one of those other programs that that's just not, you don't need to have uh, land in uh, agriculture to do it. You could just own, you know, 80 acres and get approved for it and then just do the management strategies that uh, the the individual that comes out and inspects it tells you to do and then you also would get a payment for that um, yeah and i'm actually looking right now um and there's some other ones that i've seen it seems like there's a lot more like localized ones as well um like i'm just looking on the nrcs um page right now like there's the csp so conservation steward uh program the um environmental quality or that so that's equip um there's watershed programs and even in this region there's a um a great lakes uh restorative initiative so i'm assuming that would be something if you live um closer to the great lakes mississippi basin one so it seems like there's programs all over the place uh even locally that are maybe more uh put towards your local uh, uh ecosystems yeah, and it's just a matter of uh, going to an NRC office and seeing if you can get approved. And like like we said, it doesn't have to be, you know, production agriculture. It could be your back 20 acres. It doesn't hurt to ask and try and get information on it. So it's uh, all for better habitat, better hunting and fishing, and better uh, better ecosystem. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, I think we covered all these in pretty short time here. Zach, was there anything that you wanted to add on these programs? Uh, no, just I just kind of wanted to bring them up because, like I said before, people don't really know too much about them, and I think they definitely deserve uh, deserve some recognition and all the great stuff. And another great uh, private land, like uh, pers- people that handle this kind of thing, you know, Pheasants Forever, QDMA, um, all those private organizations. So I know Pheasants Forever even has pollinator mixes that you can buy. So um, all these nonprofits and things, they all love these programs and they all do as much as they can to help everyone out when it comes to installments and then later management too. Yeah, for sure. Makes sense. Um, yeah, and I mean, I guess my two cents at the end here is just support these programs. I mean, look into them support them talk to if you know someone that does agriculture and maybe isn't involved in one of these maybe encourage them to to look into this if it's something that you know they may benefit from but yeah so i i think these are all great things and i think they fly under the radar of a lot of hunter and fishermen where this is land that we hunt and fish and this is somebody else's land 
that pops up on Onyx as, oh, you can hunt it. But, you know, it's uh, it's not a bad thing. And I know I grew up in, in hunting land in Illinois, which there's almost no public land to hunt down there, um, is knocking on farmers' doors and, you know, trying to coax them into that. And it, it, it I think these programs add a great benefit. In it. And if you feel so inclined, I don't think it would be the worst thing to, you know, if you see these farmers out and about to give them a thank you for uh, for allowing their, their land to be hunted. So. Oh yeah. And it's just another great reason to, to, uh, push the farm bill and the farm bill allots acreages for these programs. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it's always a good thing to email legislatures and things like that to ask for added acreages to these farm bills so that more and more farms can get into it. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, we could, uh, I think we could lead into our next segment here. Um, Zach, uh, let's start with, uh, your cooking corner. What do you got for us this week? Anything, uh, anything good you, you t- toss on the old grill? Man, I'm excited. Actually breaking, breaking news. Cause I just finished <laughs> eating it. But had, uh, had pheasant legs in the freezer. Okay. Uh, and these are whole legs, thigh, thigh. And, uh, well, I guess there isn't much calf there, but, uh, so these are the thighs. Thighs. Eyes and legs, yeah. Okay. Um, I think I had five legs in a package. Last night, around 10 o'clock, I put them in the crock pot on low uh, with just a couple inches over it of water and a couple, like a half an onion. And this morning, I got up for turkey hunting at around five, and I went to shred up the meat, and I stuck the fork in a part of the part of the meat and the bone fell out from the meat <laughs> oh yeah um, oh yeah so we shredded that up threw it in the fridge uh, i took all the stock from it and i put it uh i put a coffee filter over a mason jar and i f- poured all that stock into mason jars filtered um it's liquid gold colored i got three pints worth of stock out of it it tastes just like chicken stock. Um, and then we took all that shredded legs and we were able to make uh, uh, nachos with that. So we added taco seasoning and then we just did like a big vegetable mix with uh, cheese and chips and just threw it right in the oven for like 10 minutes just to melt the cheese because everything was already cooked. And then we still got some leftovers for like uh, something tomorrow. But yeah, awesome. Got some got some stock out of it and then got some good meat that a lot of people just toss so yeah yeah that's uh some good stuff yeah no i'm a i'm a big fan of uh whole cooking pheasants so keep just basically uh you know plucking them and throwing the whole damn thing in the in the smoker big fan of, of doing that so the, yeah the legs are often underutilized in a lot of critters but on pheasants i mean they're a ground bird so you, you got some meat on there Oh, yeah. And along with that whole pheasant, too. Yeah, I tried beer can pheasant when I shot my first wild one, and I I love it. It's highly uh, highly sought after, and everybody needs to keep their legs. I, which reminds me, too, I was actually looking. I think it was Montana. They require any bird bigger than a buffalo head you need to take the thighs off of. Hmm. Any Kill game one. bird, I believe it was. What do you mean you have to take the thighs off of? 
Like you need to harvest the thighs off of the bird after you shoot it, not oh, just the like, breasts. Oh, so like, it's like anything, a... any game bird you shoot, you need to, to take the breasts and the thighs. Okay, yeah. So, so it's a requirement. So nothing goes to waste. Yeah, no, I think that makes sense. And I mean, like you know, for me, uh, you know, I try and use everything. I mean, from the feathers, you know, for making fishing lures, down to whatever I can use from it. Um, and I know you're the same way, but. Yeah, no, with with pheasants, that's that's for sure. You gotta use 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 it all. Um, but yeah, uh, for me, I I don't think I cooked anything too uh, too good this. What did I make? Well, I made uh, I mean just some standard stir fry. But I I'm kind of lacking in in game food in the fridge right now because I didn't shoot any deer this year. Um, but yeah, like I said, fishing's opening up, so I'm hoping now I'll be able to start stocking the stocking the freezer with uh, quite a bit of fish here. So that'll be that'll be good for me. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, you want to get into hot gear, cold beer? Let's do it. All right. Uh, so what do you got for me, Zach? Um. Cold beer. I got nothing fancy this week. I'm drinking a bush heavy as we speak right now. Um, but hot gear. I got a hot deal. No, oh, let's hear that, it. Uh, I think everybody should at least ponder. If you're a bow hunter, you should ponder it. But um, I guess I haven't confirmed it 100%. But Midway USA and I think Amazon and a couple other ones should still have this deal. If you're even considering using mechanical broadheads, a lot of Rage broadheads are on sale right now. I paid $45 or 40 bucks for my three broadheads at Bass Pro, and I bought three more of them on sale at Midway USA for $18. Damn, that's a steal. So if if you're ever if you ever even ever thought of trying them, now is a now's the time to buy them they're just giving them away at that price um i love them i bought obviously i love them i bought three more of them so uh good time to try them out if you were ever curious about them yeah yeah um i got the chisel tips rage chisel tips the chisel tips yeah um well actually you know in the um which I haven't used these yet, and I or actually, well, you still got well, you got your beer, okay, and your gear. Um, I guess for me, yeah, this week hasn't been anything special. Um, I'll tell you what I had this week, which I have not had in a long time, is just a Coors Light. I have not had one in a long time, and I was like, you know what, I, I, you know, a buddy of mine had them. I was like, yeah, you know what, I'm gonna treat myself and have a Coors Light. Normally, I'm more of a liquor guy. But, uh, yeah, it really hit the spot. It made me feel like summer is coming. It made me feel good on the inside. I was, I was ready for it, and I know this weekend I'm going to be pounding some spotted cows with the old man uh, doing some fishing, so I'm excited for that. Um, but I guess I'll do, I'll do two this week. One, because they're, they're sitting right next to me, kind of on, uh, on my table in my room here. Um, I got because I'm starting to get a squirrel problem in my backyard and they're going to die. The squirrels is going to be dead. <laughs> Good. Excuse me. But um, yeah, I'm planning on starting my garden. I got some tomato plants growing inside right now and I'm not about to have some squirrels eat my tomatoes. So I picked up because I live in town and I can't discharge a firearm to kill these little things. 
so I picked up these Allen 100 grain Thrasher small game heads for uh, an arrow, and they look pretty deadly. There, I've never used uh, a small a small game head before. They look like little. Um, they almost look like the the top of like a queen, like a chess queen. Um, yeah, I don't oh, know exactly. Yeah. Ever... It's like a flat top, and then those little prongs that come up out of it. Well, it's even it's a point. It's like a field tip point with like four little prongs that come off the side. Um, yeah, I picked these up at Fleet Farm. Uh, Zach, have you ever used these before? No, I've always. Uh... I've always just told myself I'm never going to be able to hit a squirrel no matter how hard I try. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I got, I mean, we're talking, you know, within 10 yards that I'll probably be blasting this thing, if not just popping my head out of my door and just point blanking this thing. Um, so uh, I think I should be able to hit them. And the whole point, at least from, and I got some kind of beat up uh, arrows that I, I'm planning on using because I know these are going to go like right into the ground. Um, but it says that the whole point of them is that they don't – the point of those little wings is so that they don't get buried in the ground. So it says designed to deliver maximum shock and internal damage. So I don't know. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in on that. I think, uh, you know, it'll be good. Um, you know what's something main- else you should look into that's not a firearm is those brake barrel uh, spring action pellet guns. Oh, I'm about, I'm, well, if they're brake action, they're not spring. They're, they're just a pump. So they're not CO2. They're just a pump. Well, you break, brake barrels. Yeah. Yeah. So that's still compressed air, but yeah, it's not CO2, but, um, no, yeah. it's springs, so, right? Is it, is it? No, I thought that was a compressed air. Like you're just compressing the air inside of there. I thought that's how that worked. I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a scientist. It um, clicks over and it kills all the squirrels in my backyard. I got, hollow point pellets and it shoots at like 1400 feet per second yeah no i'm about that but i just don't want the neighbors calling me like uh my neighbor's got a a sniper's nest in his bedroom (laughs) and um all of my squirrels that i feed in my backyard are dead um so i I don't want that happening but i don't know it may may come to that because i do have one of those and it may it may come to that point if if the arrows uh don't work um but the other thing that I got is, and I've been wanting to try this for a while, is the Fireline from Berkeley. Have you used this at all? Uh, no, I thought you said that before, though. Oh, did I? Well, yeah, I bought it before, but I finally got out and was able to test it. I got some 14-pound, and I put it on my, um, my I got a 7-foot rod. Uh, it's like a medium-heavy. I use it kind of for northern pike, stuff like that, and uh I was very surprised at how well it casted for 14 pound test casted real well. I just had like a um, little swim bait on there with the jig head and I was casting around and it casted totally good. So I was impressed with that. Um, Is that on the bait yeah. caster? No, no, it's on a, it's on a spinning reel. Oh, spinning. Yeah. So it's on a spinning reel. Yeah. So it says that the diameter is a 0.23 diameter. So it's the equivalent of a six pound mono diameter. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. Worked real good. I I was impressed. I you know the price was pretty reasonable. I think it was like ten bucks for a spool. Um, yeah, and I I, I don't. It's kind of weird to tie it though. You have to use a polymer knot, kind of like braided. It's a weird. It's weird waxy kind of line, but it seems to work pretty good. So I'm impressed so far. Cool. Cool. Yeah, and I think that uh, I think that covers it. So Zach, did you have any closing points you wanted to add? 
no, it's uh, yeah, anybody with any interest in it should go research more. Obviously, we don't know a whole heck of a lot about. Well, I like to consider myself pretty knowledgeable in it, but um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we left out just because it's so detail oriented. So, um, with any of these programs, just talk to your local NRCS office or anybody like that, and. Yeah, I don't know. Just uh, get outside and try and keep staying sane during this quarantine, and everybody needs to go shoot a turkey. Yes, I'm. I'm. I'm with you. Yeah, and if you're in Wisconsin, get out and fish, man. Get get your walleyes while they're hot right now. Um, but yeah, I'm with you, Zach. Uh, try and stay sane during quarantine, and uh, yeah, I guess we'll close out here as always. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you're a professional in the field, please reach out to us. We'd be more than happy to interview you. Um, if you are a company that wants to give us money or free stuff, also contact us. Uh, <laughs> and um, Yeah, so that's about it. Uh, we'll close out here, and thanks again. Uh, oh, actually, follow us on Instagram, at Between Two Pines Pod on Instagram. Follow us on there. Let us know how we're doing. All right, thanks again.